This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I'm Kellogg. Peter Piot, a virologist and co-discoverer of the Ebola virus, said at a World Health Organization gathering of experts that he sees no risk for Ebola outbreaks outside of West Africa, but isolated tragic incidents will occur in intensive care units and other health facilities. Particularly when you consider that um, dealing with patients with, with Ebola illness with, uh, who are sick is a very risky business and the slightest mistake can be fatal. Two million people in South Sudan are facing food shortages and a man-made crisis stemming from infighting, according to a report in the Christian Post. Thirty-five humanitarian agencies say more aid is urgently needed. The report goes on to say that, so far, the soft approach of the international community in peace negotiations has failed to secure a meaningful ceasefire. Because of the warring factions within the country, more than 1.7 million people have fled their homes. I'm Bob From Feature Story News in London, I'm Oli Barrett. Kurdish forces have been involved in fierce gun battles with Islamic State militants around the Syrian border town of Kobane, with U.S.-led coalition airstrikes continuing. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta has appeared before the International Criminal Court on charges of crimes against humanity. The case has been adjourned and five Afghan men have been executed for gang-raping four women in a case that shocked the country. If you're listening in the live stream and you're listening right from your computer, desktop or laptop, remember, if you're going to walk away, take us with you and download us via the webmasterradio.fm mobile app available in the iTunes App Store or through Google Play. That way, you're not going to miss another great hour of webmasterradio.fm programming coming up next. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Podcasting to millions from WebmasterRadio.fm's world headquarters. From the Tropic of Technology, a service of New Gen Broadcasting. Downloading the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. It's a a very sad thought on speech um, today with the um, Dodgers and Angels both folding quite quickly in the playoffs. But we have um, an interesting tale. We're going to go into the jungle today. And um, metaphorically and literally, um, we have with us... um, ...fear over the Exxon Valdez uh, case in 1989 in Alaska. More recently, we've had the 
BP case in the Gulf of Mexico. But in terms of a court judgment uh, against a single particular defendant, no, this is the biggest ever environmental judgment of its kind anywhere. And, you know, $19 billion is real money, even to Chevron, even to the second biggest. <laughs> the, the old saying, once you, you know, a million here, a million there, pretty soon you're talking about real money. Well, yeah, once you start talking billions, you definitely are. So, right. um, so what exactly is it that um, Chevron and um, did in, um, in this region that yeah. um, led to the judgment? That, well, that's a, that's a good place to start, and, and actually the story begins all the way back in the 1960s and with a, a different U.S.-based uh, multinational, Texaco. In, in the 1960s, uh, Ecuador invited outside investment to take advantage of the vast oil reserves that existed beneath the floor uh, of the rainforest. Texaco answered that call, signed a series of uh, contracts with successive Ecuadorian governments, and began producing oil in 1972, which was shipped via pipeline, which Texaco built up over the Andes, 9,000 feet in the air, and then down to the Pacific coast, where it was uh, picked up by tankers that took it to uh, California for refinement and then for sale as gasoline to uh, American consumers. This, uh, the arrival of the oil industry uh, dramatically changed the Ecuadorian economy and society at large. In many ways, it was a boon. It was a, uh, a tremendous benefit. Uh, living standards rose. The country became wealthier in aggregate. However, the poor people who live right near the oil operations in the rainforest got the short end of the stick. They uh, did not grow wealthier. And worse, they were uh, the victims of tremendous contamination. Texaco did a terrible job of containing the side effects of the process of industrializing Rhode Island-sized swath of, of the rainforest. So Texaco dug uh, waste oil pits. They left unlined hundreds of these Olympic swimming pool-sized pits. It dumped billions of gallons of tainted produced water, though the water that comes up when you when you draw oil up from under the ground, um, that's tainted by you know natural contaminants, things like uh, heavy salt and, and arsenic, and uh, this was just dumped uh, into the streams and rivers uh, where people uh, you know drew their drinking water and where they fished. So in the 70s and 80s, while Texaco was active, there was a great deal of contamination. Then Texaco was kicked out of the country. The oil industry was nationalized in Ecuador. And to make matters worse, the national oil company that took over became just as bad a polluter as Texaco had ever been. Meanwhile, plaintiff's lawyers in this country, this gentleman, Stephen Donziger, I mentioned earlier, and others, sued Texaco in federal court in New York in 1993. And that was the opening shot in the legal war over who should be held responsible for all of this uh, environmental harm in this remote region in Ecuador. And um, and so the the case was brought, and how long did it take to to, to get to, to get from start to to, to trial, or yeah. even how long well, was the, the amazing, trial? The amazing thing is that for nine long years, the plaintiffs' lawyers and Texaco fought over the procedural question of where to have the fight. In other words, right. they weren't actually looking at the merits of the case. They weren't sorting out precisely what had happened substantively on the ground 
uh, in Ecuador and how it should be remedied. Instead, they were having a fight over over venue, over forum, as the lawyers would put it. And eventually, Texaco won that fight. Texaco's argument was this case should take place, if anywhere, in Ecuador. And the U.S. courts agreed with that, dismissed the case in the United States, and the oil company, which right at that point was being acquired by a bigger oil company, Chevron, Mm-hmm. Um, the oil company thought this case was over with. It was done. The plaintiff's lawyers would be exhausted. They've been fighting for nearly a decade. They've got to be out of money, out of gas, uh, psychologically burned out. Um, and the oil company uh, miscalculated because a few years later, the case resurfaced, driven by this highly energetic, highly motivated, um, if ethically challenged, uh, New York lawyer, uh, Stephen Donziger, Rebrought the case in Ecuador, and there he began to gain traction against Chevron. And and so he, he how long did how long was the trial? The the case in uh, in Ecuador began in two thousand three, and a trial in Ecuador looks very very different from what a trial looks like in <laughs> in this country. Uh, and it lasted from two thousand three all the way until two thousand eleven, and it was in February of two thousand eleven that. Uh, the trial judge in a in a small uh, city in the rainforest called Lago Agrio, which means Sour Lake, and is a, a name inherited from the original uh, Texaco uh, geologists and other explorers who identified uh, the oil. Sour Lake refers to a place in uh, southern Texas where Texaco's predecessor company, the Texas Oil Company, was actually started in the hmm. early early part of the 20th century. Anyway, in Lago Agrio, in this uh, very uh, you know unprepossessing courthouse, said we're going to hold the foreign uh, multinational, even though that company and its current owner haven't been here for decades, and even though the the local oil company, which is now known as Petro Ecuador, has been a- adding tremendous amounts of pollution in in recent years, we're going to hold the foreign oil company wholly liable. Uh, for all of this uh, unhappiness, all of this injury to the environment, all of this human harm, and the 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 bill, which was originally about nine billion, was then doubled because Chevron refused to apologize, an an interesting quirk in Ecuadorian law, and then has <laughs> continued to continued to grow. And it, the Ecuadorian courts have upheld this verdict all the way up through their system. The, the the equivalent of the Supreme Court of Ecuador has upheld Chevron's liability, although it did kind of arbitrarily have the damages amount, which now stands at between nine and ten billion dollars. But Chevron did not give up. Chevron not only said we will never well, pay on this. Let's verdict. I'll stop right there for a minute. Yep. Yeah. So you have this now ten billion dollar judgment. So we, we right. cue the the Rocky ass music and um, you know our our eyes well at this great um, victory for justice and you know the environment right. and so everything's going to end well for the Ecuadorian people, right? Right. Well, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, life does not uh, work out like a parable. Um, David and Goliath is a uh, is a classic. Uh, you know, biblical story, and and we we love those kinds of little guy beats the big guy um, narratives. Um, but life, of course, is is much uh, more uh, a, a function of shades of gray than it is that kind of black and white drama. And in this case, Chevron, once it became clear it was going to lose in Ecuador, said, you know, we think this whole case has uh, been smelly from the beginning. We think there's fraud here. We think the plaintiff's lawyer, this guy Donziger has actually been uh, cheating, breaking the law in order to uh, to get to this big verdict we expect to get hit with. 
And they uh, changed law firms, began investigating him personally, and came up with a lot of evidence that his tactics in Ecuador had been uh, avant-garde, uh, to say the least, uh, and in fact had involved uh, bribery, coercion, the use of fabricated evidence. And based on all of this evidence that Chevron gathered, it filed its own lawsuit back in the United States, bringing the fight back to the United States uh, under the U.S. anti-racketeering law. And so a whole new front opened up in this legal war. And just this past March, this year, a federal judge in New York ruled that A, Donziger was liable under U.S. racketeering law, and B, this fantastic-sounding environmental victory, in fact, had been a sham, that a, what had begun as a legitimate lawsuit all the way back in 1993 had evolved into an extortion conspiracy. And so now we have a collision between the two legal systems. The U.S. legal system says Donziger is, uh, is a fraudster, and Chevron, of all things, is the victim. The Ecuadorian legal system says Chevron is uh, a terrible polluter, and it owes billions of dollars to the Indians and the uh, poor farmers who live in the rainforest. So you have the, the battle between the, the titan of Chevron, you have the Ecuadorian government, but I have my producer who now tells me it's time for a break. So we'll be right back uh, with more with Paul Barrett and the Law of the Jungle after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promote and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS, text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm, sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network through iHeartRadio iTunes, Stitcher, and the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Thanks to an exclusive private offer available for a very limited number of companies. But you must act fast. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. 
law of the jungle because it actually that's an interesting story not just of of the law as applied in environmental cases but it's an interesting story of the, about the legal system and um paul you were talking about um you used the david versus goliath analogy but at a mm-hmm. certain point um you once the story shifts from ecuador to um, the United States, it starts to become a Goliath versus Goliath battle, at least in terms of the legal system. Um, you have um, jumping in to help enforce the judgment. Um, you have the, the venerable firm of uh, patent bogs. You know, yeah, which, that's a very um, important point. And you know, for those who are unfamiliar, patent bogs is a Washington D.C. lobbying powerhouse. Um, it's it. Um, it comes from one of the Boggs whose whose father was at um, one point majority leader and probably would have been speaker had his plane not disappeared in Af- in um, Alaska. Um, and then his mom was a longtime congressman, um, a very powerful um, firm that has ha- had people from Vernon Jordan. I think they had Bob Strauss at one point. I mean, this is a you know, power D.C. firm. Um, and they're up against, on the other side, I believe it's Gibson Dunn. That's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, Patton Boggs really parachuted in here uh, near the end, exactly for the reason you said. It became clear that Donziger and his uh, allies in Ecuador were going to win. But there was a question as to how they would enforce any victory, because Chevron had no assets in Ecuador and clearly was just going to give the plaintiffs the middle finger and say, we're never paying you. And so you needed... Uh, a powerful law firm with resources that could go around the world to other jurisdictions and seek to have those other jurisdictions, places where Chevron does have assets, enforce the Ecuadorian verdict. And that was the service that uh, Patton Boggs proposed to provide in exchange for a healthy slice of the legal fees. Another important uh, fold in the case is that Patton Boggs came in arm in arm with a uh, hedge fund that in, invested uh, millions of dollars in the case, and those millions of dollars were crucial to providing an incentive for Patton Boggs to do the work it was doing. Uh, Donziger, the lead plaintiff's lawyer, was very skilled not only at marshalling media attention and the uh, backing of celebrities, as we uh, mentioned in the last segment, but also at creative fundraising. One of the reasons this case was sustained for all those years against Chevron was that Donziger was able to raise money, not just from plaintiff's lawyers, which he did, but also from hedge funds and even from a law school friend of his who had become a billionaire in the online poker business. And he raised from this uh, this uh, online poker magnate some $23 million to help finance the case. Now, obviously, Chevron has greater resources than that, but right. it is important to emphasize, as you just did, that it, this was not a classic David who was just throwing stones. He had a big law firm on his side, and he had a fair amount of money in his war chest. And there's also some of an East Coast, West Coast thing, because you have Gibson Dunn, which is a Los Angeles-based um, big firm, has represented you know many. They were, they've just recently won a big case for Facebook, um, and... Uh, um, excuse me, not Facebook. Yelp. They won the. Uh, the they got dismissed the claims on that Yelp was engaged in extortion. I I actually litigated against Gibson um, a case that where we one of the we got one of the largest antitrust verdicts um, at that time against them. But they, you know the, the, you know you had a team of twenty lawyers against twenty lawyers, and so these are this is a powerhouse firm. 
And, these are firms uh, that, that that operate, yeah, at a kind of brigade level. You don't you don't have exactly. one or two lawyers going into court. You have you have dozens of lawyers going into court at a time, and and that's very much what this this fight evolved into. And in that fight, um, you know, to to be blunt about it, uh, Gibson Dunn pretty much cleaned Patton Boggs' clock, and that's because Patton Boggs really had a very weak case to deal with. It turned out that a lot of the evidence from Ecuador, the evidence that would undergird the enforcement of the of the big verdict was uh, faulty or if not outright fabricated. The scientific experts who had gathered the evidence basically ended up under pressure from Chevron disavowing it and backing away. And eventually even Patton Boggs did that. This year Patton Boggs withdrew from the case it actually issued a, a statement of public regret for ever having been involved in the case, and it paid Chevron $15 million, a kind of humiliation payment to wow. underscore its regret. And I, look, I've covered these things for almost three decades. I have never seen a major firm uh, back away from a case in a similar fashion. And just a few months after all that transpired, Patton Boggs, as you said, the leading uh, lobbying and law firm in Washington, D.C., was uh, uh, absorbed into uh, a Cleveland-based firm called Squire Sanders, and Patton Boggs is no more as an independent firm, wow. in large part because of, of the, the wound it suffered uh, in this battle against Gibson Dunn and against Chevron. And, you know, that, I mean, and, and just in terms of um, for, you know, context, in terms of the list of you know, events like this, where a major firm like Patent Box just hands over fifteen million dollars, you know, to their longtime opponent. I'm going to read you the list of you know, case, similar cases where that's happened. Okay, I'm done. Um, right. And, you know, th- no, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, it, it, it's not unusual for for law firms to engage in, uh, you know, kind of total warfare, you know, to, to spend tens or maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars fighting over uh, issues that it's, uh, in the end, kind of unclear as to what the, what the point of it all was. But it is really unusual to the point of unprecedented um, to see a law firm actually on bended knee holding up a, a check to it to the other law firm and basically apologizing, saying, we're sorry we ever challenged you in the first place. And that, I, I think, is a function of the degree to which Patton Boggs or some of their partners realized we got ourselves into a case here that was not based on legitimate evidence. And if we litigate this thing out, if we have to try to defend our role, we risk just ruining the firm. And so better to cut our losses, humiliate ourselves in the short term, merge with another stronger firm and live to fight another day. I think that's, uh, that's what happened. And by the way, the Patton Boggs partners who had been involved in the Ecuador case, they were fo- they left the firm. So they're, they're gone from Patton Boggs altogether. I'm sure that's coincidental. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> now, um, you know, and this is kind of an interesting tale just about how, you know, there's kind of two, two stories going on. First, you, you show how, and, and this does happen, although not often, that um, David, David can beat Goliath in, in court. In some places, um, here you know it was uh, Ecuador, and that happens sometimes. We you know, we do we see the Aaron Brockoviches, and we see these mm-hmm. stories, that, and that happen, and that's important to highlight. But I think what's interesting here is is parallel to that is you have basically you know the equivalent of a World War One 
you know, trench warfare of, you know, two massive firms fighting it out. And, uh, and that is a sad, and a sad but true statement of really where, what the state of our litigation system is today. Well, that's right. In, you know, by the time a Chevron brought the fight back to the United States, the, the combat uh, really became more one over, the, over lawyers' behavior, who had had dirtier hands, than it did over the underlying pollution. The underlying case really increasingly has been lost in recent years. And the, the bottom line is that the, the victims uh, of, of the misconduct, misconduct by Texaco, misconduct by Petro-Ecuador, misconduct by the lawyers, those victims, the, the poor Ecuadorians, they've gotten nothing out of 21 years of, of legal warfare. And, and that's the thing that people need to focus more on. And I think we need to figure out how this, uh, this radioactive litigation process can somehow be displaced uh, so that some rational administrative process or uh, NGO-style process can, can come in and, and actually provide some relief. Do you think there needs? I mean, right now there's a there's you know a world court um, and multiple you know, different types of international courts, you know, for war crimes and other things. Do you think yeah. there needs to be an international court for environmental? I think Just, it would be extremely difficult to uh, to set up a, a structure like that because of differing laws in different countries and so forth. Um, I, I and think, the United States uh, would never ratify it. <laughs> well, I, I think you'd, you'd have that challenge, not just the United States, but you, I'm wondering whether China would ratify right. it, uh, Russia would ratify it, and, and, and so on. Um, uh, you know, I, I think um, a, a more direct path to all of this, a uh, more direct path to achieving environmental justice is for the host governments of where this environmental activity takes place, in this case, Ecuador, they are the ones who need to take responsibility for the industrial activity within their borders. It's very important to remember that while Texaco, as I've said now several times, uh, did not uh, conduct itself honorably uh, in the rainforest in the 70s and 80s, it was the Ecuadorian government that had the authority to, uh, to rein them in. This was Ecuador's terrain. It was Ecuador's oil. Ecuador formed the joint venture with, uh, with Texaco and actually owned and sold the vast majority of the oil. I, I think the most direct path to regulating industrial activity is for the government authorities, the, the representatives of the people of the country in question need to assert themselves. And when they're drafting their contracts and overseeing the work, uh, they need to make sure the work gets done according to uh, standards that they that they put in place and enforce. That simply didn't happen in the 70s and 80s in Ecuador. Now, I, I saw on the, the Facebook page you have for this um, the book that um, – so one thing that, that led to the whole judgment coming undone was the, um, the issue of um, you know, bribes and other things that had been done um, at, to get the judgment in Ecuador. And yeah. – um, and so, you know, there's still, you know, a lot of celebrity interest in what's going on in Ecuador. Um, yes. In, in that, um, you know, for example, Mia Farrow recently went down there to publicize what was going on, and it turns out that she was paid $108,000 by the government to do so. This is, uh, this is um, uh, you know, kind of symptomatic of the disingenuousness that, that sadly has come to taint this whole legal and public relations campaign. It turns out that 
the government of Ecuador using various intermediaries, PR firms and other firms has been funneling money to some of the celebrities who travel to Ecuador, dip their hands in the waste oil and condemn Chevron. Not pausing to ask whether the waste oil they're dipping their hands in actually was had anything to do with Chevron or Texaco very well might have more have something to do with Petro Ecuador. But the celebrities, of course, not being experts or are, are kind of being led around and, and used as pawns. But the implication is that they're at least doing it out of their own concern on their own initiative. Uh, and it turns out that's just not the case. The government of Ecuador, because of its desire to push culpability over uh, onto Chevron's shoulders, has been financing this. And worse than that, I think, there have been a, you know years of, of protests, uh, places like Chevron's annual meetings. And as I reported in, in Business Week uh, earlier this year, it turns out that the protesters people who you know seem to be hispanic and are holding signs condemning chevron and saying chevron must take responsibility well those protesters were paid as well 85 dollars oh, wow. a head to show up at a protest now is that a is that a a federal case do you want to go on and on about it i don't right, know yeah. it's, it's not hugely important but what it is it's symptomatic it's symptomatic of fakery and it's one thing to pay fake protesters it's another thing to um, pay a, a celebrity to sell her reputation um, for a you know a bit of street theater, um, and, and you know big deal. And I agree, not not that big a deal in the end. But the problem is, is that attitude that we're just right. putting on a show, I think, has come to pervade the whole campaign, and and that's not the way you actually litigate a case. I mean, you know, as no. a former lawyer, yeah. you need real evidence. You need to follow very <laughs> stringent procedures. I haven't been disbarred during this broadcast. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, that's a different role. That's not just the circus of celebrity stuff and people waving signs. And that's where the plaintiff's cause fell apart in the serious role of marshalling evidence and proving a, a case that could then be enforced in serious jurisdictions. I mean, you hit on an important point and you use the word story. And you know, as a litigator, you know, where as a lawyer, there are two important skills to have. And uh, one is to be really recognize that you're a problem solver. And that the end result isn't um, – I always paraphrase Clausewitz. You know, he has that famous saying, you know, war is politics by other means. And I, I say litigation is business by other means. And at the end of the day, you're just like war wants a political objective. At the end of the day, you, know, you want a business objective. And so you sh- don't get focused on litigation. Just focus on what's the problem and try to solve it. But that's an, that's an important quality. But the second important quality is if you do have to litigate, you have to be a storyteller. And uh, and so you know, that's an important part is telling the story. And you know what you've done here is that there's a great story about environmental degradation. And I'm wondering if the environmental community is upset with you at all for somehow you know, making the, their heroes look bad. You know that it's well, not you know the the Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker, but you know, there's a lot of moral ambiguity here. Well, that's true. Uh, and fortunately, uh, thoughtful environmentalists um, have applauded the book, not uh, condemned it. C- certainly, there are people who frame themselves as as uh, environmentalists who have attacked the book and, and attacked me. But I, I don't. I simply think they are not serious people. Um, someone like Fred Krupp, the president of the Environmental Defense Fund. He actually provided a dust jacket endorsement for the book. He, he said, "Law of the Jungle" is a cautionary tale deeply reported, well-written reminder 
that to be credible and effective, the fight against environmental misconduct must be waged within the rule of law. I was obviously thrilled to have someone of Fred Krupp's right. environmental credibility backing the book. He's not saying he's any great friend of Chevron. Of course he's not. But he's saying if you're going to go after Chevron, you have to do it the right way. And um, is Chevron going to hire Woody Allen in response? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'll leave Chevron's public relations uh, to them. They're, uh, they're fully capable of, of protecting themselves. They don't need me. So what, what is your uh, – got a little, little time left. What's, what is your next project? <laughs> well, uh, so what have I done for you lately? Is that your your question? No, no, no. I mean, the, obviously, you, know, you just finished a book, and um, yeah. you have. Well, my next project books, is uh, I'm I'm turning. You know, I turn back to my day job at, at Bloomberg Businessweek and uh, and go back to writing investigative uh, feature stories uh, for the magazine and and for our website. If you go on our website right now, businessweek.com, you'll see that I have a a piece uh, headlined "Making Sense of the Farcical." Hank Greenberg versus AIG trial. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I write about a lot of different legal issues and uh, have no fear. I, I have no uh, no want for work. I got plenty of things to do. <laughs> Is it, so there's, you know, you haven't, there's no nothing you're thinking, okay, this is the next the next great summit to to to. to um... Oh, I have an idea for a, for a next book, um, and uh, you'll, you, if you look closely and you read between the lines, you might be able to figure it out from my uh, writing for Business Week in uh, in coming weeks and months. But I'm I'm not prepared to uh, to get into it uh, just quite yet. I'm a little too superstitious. Give me give me some time to uh, get some magazine articles done on the topic, and then we'll uh, we'll come back and talk about this other book in the future. Now, was Hollywood interested in this story? I mean, in some ways, it's... I'm very, I'm very pleased to say that we have sold uh, an option on Law of the Jungle to a very prestigious um, Hollywood production house. Uh, at the moment, there, the the deal is their deal, so they're uh, keeping it confidential until they work out. Yeah. They work out a screenwriter and a director and all that kind of thing. But yes, uh, fingers crossed, we'll we'll see this in movie form in the not too distant future. Yeah, because it's it, but it's it's a tough story to convert because it, it, there's two stories, and um, you know, maybe you know so you do if you com- combine it into one, um, that you maybe do a disservice to it. But well, um, I think uh, I think you, you can you can you know I, I'm hoping that they see it and I believe they see it as story about a, a guy who might have been a hero, but whose uh, who's hubris um, undoes him, uh, sort of the rise and fall type story. And I think that's a story that has a great deal to teach and, um, and can also be entertaining at the same time. What, what have been the consequences for Donziger? Well, I mean, he's still um, against the odds, is denying wrongdoing. He's appealing the RICO verdict, uh, so he has an appeal pending before the federal appeals court here um, in New York. And meanwhile, he's taking his Ecuadorian verdict to places like Canada, Argentina, and Brazil, and asking the judiciaries in those countries to enforce it against Chevron, because Chevron has huge assets in those countries. The oil company, of course, is on his heels, saying to the judges in those countries, pay no attention to this man. He's a, he's a racketeer, uh, according to the, the federal court in New York. Um, we'll see in coming months and years um, how he is received in these, these other countries. The uh, Canadian Supreme Court actually has a uh, an oral argument scheduled for December in which it will look at the procedural question of whether the Canadian courts ought to entertain Donziger's request to enforce the verdict in Canada. They're not looking at the merits yet. They're just 
examining the procedural issue, is this case appropriate for our court system? So the, the, case, the case continues. The, the fight continues. I noticed that his name wasn't on the uh, the jacket in terms of blurbs. <laughs> what, what, if anything, has he said about the book? Uh, Donziger uh, has, uh, has condemned me and uh, called me all kinds of nasty names um, and has done what he usually does, which is he has turned um, anyone who uh, interferes with what he sees as his mission into a personal enemy and uh, sets out to... Uh, attack their reputation. This is his MO. And, um, you know, you got to do the sort of work I do. You have to have thick skin. And uh, I see what he's doing is just an attempt to distract people, including himself, maybe, um, from his very serious legal difficulties. But that's all right. That's, that's, the, way the, that's the way it goes sometimes. Well, it's a, a very compelling story. I almost think it should be required among law students. But um, well, from want... your lips to God's ears, that's that's a good idea. <laughs> and I do know some professors, so I definitely will pass that along. But um, if people want to learn learn more about you and the book, what's the best place for them to go? They can go to my my website, which is uh, authorpmbarrett.com. There's a lot of information there about this book about my earlier books and about me in general. So that would be the place I would start. And um, you're working with um, Chris Abraham, right? And he's promote, helping you promote the book. Yes, I have hired Chris Abraham, who's a, a very smart uh, digital marketer um, who uh, has been very helpful to me in, uh, in getting the word out. And, and Chris has been a guest on the show. He's, he's talked to us oh, about social media good. issues. And yep. um, so, yeah, he's a, he's a friend of the show and a friend as well. And so um, very good choice there. So uh, I want to thank you. And hopefully uh, maybe I'll see you at a future Renaissance weekend. But um, And so we're going to take a short break. But we come back, we'll have some news updates. But um, thanks again. It's been great having you. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on Earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. Before you painstakingly create another label or drag yourself to the post office, set a course to ShipStation, your key to e-commerce shipping nirvana. Save time by easily importing orders from wherever you sell, like Amazon, eBay, and over 40 others. 
Save money with discounted USPS rates and a free USPS account. Automate manual tasks through bulk label and invoice printing, custom shipping rules, and much more. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and I want to thank Paul Barrett again. It was a fascinating discussion about his book, and uh, you know, the um, it, it reveals a lot about our current litigation system. Um, cases can take years and years, and uh, you know, it, um, I always tell people that you know the courts you know, often can get something right, but it is a um, it is like steering a ocean liner. It moves slow and it turns slow. And uh, so sometimes you always got to consider all your options. Um, litigation um, has its, you know, obviously there's a lot. Sometimes you, it's what you need to do, but you know, also some it, it can take years. And particularly now in California, where due to budgetary cut get, cutbacks, they've been shutting courts. And um, I actually a couple months ago I was served with an, a, by an opponent with a motion that's normally heard on an emergency basis and it will be heard in spring 2015. So um, that's how bad the system has become. Um, you're talking about long delays in California state court, which obviously makes you know, federal court more more appealing, as well as arbitration and other methods. So. Um, but we do have some news updates, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed our, our segment last week on the Hong Kong protests. And uh, um, it was a fascinating discussion to have. And um, the protests are, have managed to continue, although they are dwindling. And, uh, and ultimately, there may be discussions between the protesters and the Chinese government about how I'm trying to resolve it. But um, one thing that is... Um, come up and we've discovered in the, the reporting is that um, China has been using malware and going after the mobile phones of some of the protesters. So just as they've been going after um, you know, U.S. targets, in fact, um, you know, the FBI director on 60 Minutes last, on Sunday compared the Chinese cyber attackers to um, drunken um, burglars. Um, just trying, you know, just trying to open every door and, and they can get into. And um, but this is a very targeted attack against the protesters. Um, so it's just getting reported, and uh, there was a link to it on our site. Um, it's been a very dramatic week in Hong Kong, and you know, unfortunately, um, it's avoided violence. And uh, so um, it's you know, it's definitely one of the more interesting stories that's going on right now this this year. Um, in terms of the big stories of the year, this is definitely one of them. And how this will play out, I think, is really going to be of, of great interest to a lot of people. And um, so I know the president will be going to China um, shortly, and that, that is on the agenda. Um, so we'll have to see what that is. And I want to thank um, Sharon Hom um, for her impassioned statement uh, about the, the description of what is going on there and um, encourage you to follow um, Human Rights in China um, and her group, which is based in both New York and Hong Kong. And so definitely they have a whole bunch of links that keep you up to date on what's going on. So um, it's it's an important story. It's a story about 
you know people's natural aspirations for democracy and and but also it involves you know one a critical sector you know that and what happens in China does affect the entire world so um want to update you on that the other th- and one other update is um, relating yeah. to net neutrality so yesterday um, the FCC had the last of its public forums on um, its current rulemaking process and which at first um, vetted its idea to create to allow basically a fast lane on the internet and um, which was overwhelmingly um, rejected in public comments. I believe it was like 3 million comments in response. Um, largely, uh, most of them predominantly opposed to the um, the FCC's proposal. And um, so what happened yesterday was a debate over what is the legal process, um, which way should the, um, the FCC go about trying to designate um, you know, what, what authority should they invoke in, in approaching this net neutrality issue, because um, a lot of what happened was that in the last um, go around, when um, Chairman Janikowski, uh, you basically created the net neutrality rules, but without invoking any authority um, that would allow those to go forward, and you know, Verizon challenged that, and the court said, "Listen, there's nothing. You know, the FCC definitely has the authority to do this, but it hasn't invoked the authority to do so here. And so, you, if you want to do it, do it right. And that's that's why we're back at square one. And now there are media reports that a lot of people in the broadband industry are very furious at uh, Verizon because ultimately, what they may have won is a fair victory. Um, what and basically by winning that round." Um, they've just basically forced the industry into years of litigation over this issue and a huge backlash. I mean, three million comments in response. And so what Verizon has done is basically um, mobilized the, the opposing forces. And so a lot of people believe Verizon may have made uh, a short-term um a decision that was maybe wise in the short term, but definitely not in the long term. And um, so, um, there's no timetable yet for when the uh, the rule final rule will come out. But um, it's definitely, and I'm sure it won't happen before the election, because it, it's definitely something that um, would have a a, you know, a big reaction um, nationwide. And um, one other thing I wanted to highlight, and uh, we've had people on the show in the past, and we've talked about the issue of voter suppression. And, um, in, and we've had people who are going to help um, people get to vote and uh, in various states, you know, trying to overcome some of the, the new laws that have been passed that have been admittedly designed to discourage people, um, people of color, um, elderly um, students from voting, and um, you know, we talk a lot about. You know, I hear a lot of criticism sometimes from the right about um, President Obama. He's not following the Constitution, and you know, he's not a real American or whatever. Well, the Fifteenth Amendment to the Constitution provides the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry about that. And Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation, which is what led to the Voting Rights Act. Well, it turns out that um, 
a group funded by the Koch brothers, the Americans for Prosperity, which is largely um, a group that promotes low taxes and less business regulation. And back to a former high school classmate of mine um, was at one point president of it. And, um, well, shockingly, they are sending mailers to the state of North Carolina um, where they are giving disinformation um, as to w- w- voter registration and uh, what deadlines they said, they're given telling them the deadline is five days after the actual real deadline to discourage people and confuse people from voting. All I can say is that if you look at U.S. history, you know the Fifteenth Amendment came as a result of the Civil War. Million, you know, we thousands and thousands of people were killed fighting that war. And then you know the long struggle for the Voting Rights Act, which you know included. Um, you know the the epic battle at, at Selma's Edmund Pettus Bridge, where protesters were, you know, it's on film where they were clobbered in what is known as Bloody Sunday. John Lewis, the current congressman from Georgia, had his head split open on that bridge that day. And if you just look at our history and what people have fought for and struggled to get the right to vote, and for someone to um, calling themselves Americans for Prosperity. Um, to then go out and try to discourage people from voting. Um, that is despicable. Um, if you, you call yourselves Americans for Prosperity, you are not Americans for Prosperity. You are basically white bigots for rich people. And um, so this is something that um, no one who pr- promotes these type of schemes to discourage people from voting um, can call themselves a patriot. You are just pawn scum. Um, this is not something that anyone who believes in the values of America um, can claim to endorse. Um, this is something that is one of the most fundamental rights of Americans. And for you to go out and try to mislead people, to try to, in essence, steal their vote so that it is not exercised, it is an act of pure, despicable um, act and is something that um, you should not be um, – be able to hold your head high. And in fact, in North Carolina, um, it is illegal, and the North Carolina Democratic Party has actually filed a petition. So um, to the Koch brothers, to Americans for Prosperity, you know, I, I hope your butt is in court on this, and I hope you're held accountable because this is something that is something that I just cannot tell you um, how strongly uh, this is just so wrong. This is not something that anyone um, who, who professes to be a true American should endorse. And so you, sir, I hope some of you are in jail or some of you get pay fines or something, but you should be held accountable. You should be ashamed. And um, all I can say is um, I hope that whoever did this pays a price in some form and that you know, this is the right to vote regardless of how it's exercised, Republican, um, Democrat, Mickey Mouse, whoever. Um, no one should try to steal that right um, just for you know, their own gain, and um, you know this is called, it's called democracy. It's called respecting the right of the people. And clearly, this is someone who has no respect for the people. This is someone who thinks that someone can be bought. And Mr. Koch, I'm sorry, but America can't be bought. It's not yours for the taking. America is a, a collection of 350 million people who have come together. We fought wars. We fought hard to get these rights, and we're not going to let one SOB like you try to steal it by buying and sending information and buying off people. Um, So I hope on Election Day people remember who tried to steal their vote and who didn't. So um, 
that's all we have for today. Um, also, a couple interesting things in the history. Um, today is the day of Don Larson, game of the World Series, um, 1956. And uh, for Los Angeles fans, it was not a perfect, no perfect games were in order. But um, so, uh, congratulations to the San Francisco Giants and the St. Louis Cardinals, Kansas City Royals, and Baltimore Orioles. Look forward to watching this progress. Um, so, tune in next week. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, California. Check out our website, internetlawcenter.net. Check out our blog on the show, which is cyberlawradio.wordpress, and uh, we'll be posting um, a link to the audio of the show there as well. Um, until then, this is Bennett Kelly signing out. Have a great week. We will talk to you next week with more of the latest in cyber law and business right here on Webmaster Radio and on iHeartRadio as well. Uh, have a great week. Courts adjourn. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.